Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, our guest is one of the up-and-coming female agents in the sports business, and she is killing the game. She represents several high-profile WNBA players, as well as one of the all-time greats in women's basketball. She even was a baller herself in college. And people, don't forget this part. She's a fresh, fly, flirty 30 years old, okay? That's it. Our guest is ready to check in at the scores table, but first, Darlene, let's run it. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is hosted by a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a well-executed fade screen and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. A lover of threes in transition, Monica McNutt. Allison Gaylor is our fire guest today. She's the boss lady of Disrupt the Game, an agency that represents WNBA and other female professional players competing overseas. Allison, Disrupt the Game. We, I just, I can't get enough of this name, my friend. Welcome to the show. Please, let's start with the name. How did you come up with that name for your agency? Well, thank you for having me, first and foremost. But yeah, in terms of naming my agency Disrupt the Game, I always envision coming at the agency world with a different approach and just like a different mindset and and trying to, as much as this sounds like cliche, change the game. But at the time, this was in 2012 uh, when I started Disrupt the Game and Disrupt was starting to become a very hot word in the tech tech world. And the company I was working at at the time had a venture capital arm. And so I was um, around, I guess, the tech world and kept hearing the word disrupt. And I was like, hmm, maybe I'll just switch it up to disrupt the game. And eight years later, now we're here. So what is it about disruption, right? Because as a agent that's representing women, WNBA and overseas, like, were you actually disrupting? Like, what was it about it that really stuck with you? Well, I think inherently... I was 22, I'm female, clearly, and on my own in terms of being independent versus going to join another agency. So based on those three factors alone, I think has a level of disruption to it. Uh, no one had ever done something like that or, or seen someone like that just come in and really try to get after it more or less and hustle and, and be around and, you know, and try to recruit players and start working with clients and yeah, so I guess like every part about the way I approach the business is, is in my opinion, disruptive. I hope other people would agree with that. I think I do things differently and I'm not, I'm not um, worried about like upsetting the status quo or people not liking me. You know, at the end of the day, like I work for my clients and as long as I have their best interest at heart and, and they know what I'm doing and how I'm doing it, then I can kind of shake it up if need be or to the extent that I can. So, all right, you're 22. That is... Where you you'd graduated college at that point, or are you one of those young folks? I was twenty one when I graduated. I think. 
I was, yeah, I was 21. I actually think, wait, when did you graduate Georgetown? 11. Oh, so, okay, we're the same class. So, I was at Brown. I think we played you guys my we definitely year, played one year. Yes. Yeah, you guys smacked us. Like, bad. <laughs> it was actually that trip that I, my parents came and flew to D.C. I had barely gotten any playing time just as a freshman. We were, we were horrible. I love Brown. Like, I wouldn't have changed my decision for the world, but we were 2-26 and 26 by the end of the year. And that, I think that was over Christmas break, I think. And my parents flew out, like I said. And I just remember, like, us getting smacked by you guys. We got smacked by GW. I think they broke triple digits in that game. And it was, like, the highest scoring differential, like, in in Division One history. And I remember looking at my parents and just being like, what am I doing? Like, I'm not going to go – I'm 5'8", white, and Jewish. Like, my career was not meant to be on the court anyway. So why don't I just start building for off the court? Okay, anyway, but talk to me about that. I love, I, you know what? Oh, my gosh, Allison. This is, you talk about symmetry, and we might have to connect offline. Um, I was literally Thank having you. a conversation this morning about um, the power of our experiences as student-athletes, right? Like, I'm talking to a friend who is not in the sports space, um, and she's, you know, she was explaining how she, and I'm sorry, listeners, y'all, just follow me on this little rabbit hole. She was explaining <laughs> how she um, is struggling with the pandemic because she's not one to react she needs time to process then game plan and move forward and I was like well you know all I know is reacting quickly and I'll chalk it up chalk it mm-hmm. up to being an athlete and I was like but in so many ways like you got to stop looking at things as a weakness or um a strength right I was like just look at it as an area of improvement how can you start to develop your ability to react timely and trust your gut like the only way to do it is to do it which is what we've done over and over as athletes like you don't win every possession sometimes you lose but it's in your mistake response so in that moment where you were looking and sort of evaluating, what did you see um, in terms of starting this agency? And then as you got into it at just 22, Allison, did people even take you seriously? How does that go? Some people took me seriously. I mean, Lisa Leslie is, is one of those that did take me seriously and saw, saw really an opportunity for someone that was going to hustle for her and, and you know, really try to try to get moving and, and be disruptive with, with the approach to her business. So that was, that was when I was 22 that I had just started to disrupt the game at that point when we started working together and it's been, been great ever since. But yeah, I mean, I think uh, the agent business is inherently very competitive. It's very hard to break into. There aren't a lot of new entrants really in any sport um, on a, on a big level, you know, like you can get, like you see agents come in and, and sign a couple pairs here and there, but in terms of having like a lasting impact and really working with, with top players. And I'm fortunate that I work with incredible women who also happen to be besides Lisa, cause she retired in 2009, like incredible at their craft on the court and like even better humans off the court. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely went through a lot of criticism and a lot of hearing what, other agents were saying or what other players were saying and you know why am I one so young two like who the heck am I I didn't play in the WNBA you know I didn't I played at Brown for a year we went two and 26 like it's not like I had a ton of credibility on in my on-court career I mean at least I played a little bit you know so I can I could talk basketball and I had I think a little bit of credibility in that respect but but my biggest I guess piece of credibility was inherent to me and I was I was lucky for that and that's my uncle Lon Rosen has been in the business for a long time and, and started me going with internships when I was a senior in high school. Allison, it's Bruce. You mentioned Lisa Leslie. Now, you have a bunch of high-profile clients, and uh, we'll get into discussing some of those in a little bit. But 
with Lisa, Lisa is probably 15 years older than you are. And most of the time, if not all the time, agents are always older than the clients that they represent. So has she ever given you any big sisterly advice about things? Oh, for sure. She gives me life advice all the time. And I, I really appreciate every, I mean, hearing Lisa speak about a multitude of topics is always like a fascinating experience. I mean, Lisa's also, she's known me since I was 17. And so she knows my family, like I know hers and yeah, I mean, she definitely gets into, into advice mode sometimes, but then on the flip side, oftentimes, you know, I'm, I'm advising her. So it's, it's a little bit of a, a duality of, of, of a role and a role reversal in certain ways, but Lisa's incredible and, and, you know, a better human even than, than anybody would ever, would ever know. Not that they would question it, but she's awesome. I remember meeting Lisa when I was at ESPN, where, as you know, I was there for quite a long time. And one day I was in the line at the cafeteria to buy a sandwich. And I'm standing in line. I look in front of me and there's this woman, this tall woman standing in front of me. I didn't know who she was. So I kind of went to the side just to see. And it was Lisa Leslie. So I just kind of, you know, said hello, introduced myself. And I mean, she didn't know me from anybody. She could not have been nicer. She was such a nice person. And I'm thinking, that's Lisa Leslie. I mean. She's really nice. Yeah, she's just a great human. I mean, as a as a as a person, as a mom, as a as a wife, as a friend. I mean, she's the first person to be there for you when you're in need, and and she's yeah, can't say can't say enough good you know good words. But I'm definitely super biased. She's great. I remember watching Lisa like enamored with the W early on, like her Spark squads when they were battling the Comets back in the day, and then the Liberty. Man, she, I'm, that's awesome. I love when people are as great in person and in reality as you think they are when you're just a kid watching and following along. But all right, so Lisa is one of the OGs of the league. One of your current clients, Allison, is Shanae, whose energy we love. And she's having a great career both in the league and then as really a front-facing um, basketball personality for ESPN. How did you guys come to team up? Actually, Lisa introduced us. Nice. And- yeah, Lisa was was kind of like in a mentor role towards Chanae. She had first met Chanae when she was broadcasting for Pac-12. It wasn't the Pac-12 network at the time. I think it was Fox. And so she really took a liking to Chanae. She felt like she saw a lot of herself in in her. And so she kind of said to me one day, like, "Hey, I think I think you'd be really good for Chanae." I was like, "Awesome, Chanae seems great." And then fast forward. Um, Six years later, she and I have been working together ever since. I mean, there was like an in-between period, uh, for sure, while, while I was recruiting and, and building relationships and, and all of that leading into it. But yeah, so Lisa introduced us. All right, so we've got Shanae, we've got Chelsea Gray also out of the Sparks. We've got Amanda Zui at, um, with the Liberty, Kalani Brown. I mean, just to name a few, in general, the Asian game, you mentioned how competitive it is. Do you find that it has been beneficial for you to be almost sort of a peer to your clients? Like, how have you gone about kind of creating this roster that's actually pretty solid? Thank you. I appreciate you thinking my roster is solid. For sure, I think it's solid too. But again, I am biased. My whole thing is, is like, first and foremost, I'm, I'm accessible and I'm going to pick up when you call. And if I don't pick up, I'm going to call back probably within an hour. You know, like, I'm, I'm on my phone and, and I communicate with my clients all the time. And we're really, we're really teammates. And and with Josh also who works who works with me that I brought on board last year, that's kind of the approach that we have. 
it's not for everybody. I'm not for everybody. Everybody's not for me. So I've tried to be pretty selective in terms of the type of humans that, that I recruit. And I've been lucky enough to have, you know, to have some great clients that, that have come through and have stuck with me. And at the end of the day, I mean, look, they know that I care. They, they know that our communication level is, you know, we're, we're in sync. I mean, I, I talk the same language that they do. And I think that does help. And I think age does help with that. I think at the, like at the end of the day, you know, my clients have to trust me and they have to respect me and they have to believe that I know what I'm talking about. And I think, I think I prove that to most of them most of the time, but yeah, I mean, I look at it as a value add. I've also had some recruits, actually the one player I recruited in this draft class, when she told me she was going to go in a different direction, I kind of probed her because for me, I'm, you know, coming from an athletic background, like I always seek out constructive criticism. And I feel like that's a lot of what's made me better as an agent is, is not only doing things trial by fire and learning from experience, but also learning from feedback that I get from people and just making myself better. And so she actually said to me, like, I think I need someone older. And I was like, all right, like, good luck with everything. And I wish you the best, but I can't change. I can't change my age for sure. But to me, it's a strategic advantage versus a disadvantage. That's I a long-winded that. answer. I love that. Yes, Allison. Can't change my age. Take it or leave it. <laughs> I mean, pretty much. Like, and, and also, I was in – so I started law school. I started, I started to jump the game in April of 2012, and I – figured out pretty quickly like okay this is gonna take a minute to to build up my clientele and so I started at UCLA law school in fall of 2013 and so so when I was recruiting uh Chelsea and Shanae in that 2014 draft class the first thing I said to their parents was you know look I'm I'm 20 I think I was 23 at this time maybe I turned 24 like first of all I'm 23 24 whatever and second of all like I'm in I'm in my second year of law school um, or no, I was in my first year of law school at that point. And I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty transparent. Like, I mean, Bruce, Bruce and I've worked together before. Like I'm, I'm an open book probably to a fault where I'd rather be honest and upfront than anything else. And again, I, I still think I, I mean, even though I hit, I hit that 30 mark last September, I still think relatively speaking, I, you know, I can relate to my clients on a pretty deep level because of my age. That's definitely a strength. I would, I would work with you for sure. I mean, there's something to be said for wisdom, but I think as much as like, I agree that you, and you probably agree too, like we're different people at 30 than we were at 20. I think Mm -hmm. sometimes it's wise to be able to exchange relatability, um, cultural like relations, I guess, like, you know what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. like you said, we speak the same language um, in exchange for what we traditionally might equate with experience, which is not always necessarily age. Sometimes I think that has backfired, but I'm not going to get on a soapbox on that. Bruce, please redirect. <laughs> no, no, no. But no I, think, I... I think like the, the experience thing, right? Cause like, that's the biggest criticism of me over the course of the last eight years when, when other agents recruit against me or what have you, they immediately go to, Oh, she's young. She doesn't know what she's doing. She has no experience, which is, which is fine. I mean, I've been around the WNBA since I first interned in the WNBA when I was 17. And to me, at least, like, relationships are everything in this business. Mm-hmm. And I might have not negotiated as many free agent deals or shoe deals or, or what have you, but I also think over the course of the last eight years, the business has changed a lot. And agents that are changing with the times and, and being disruptive and thinking differently and, and approaching it more of, like, a, you know, real, like, a teammate type of partnership level versus just let me get my commission and, and close a couple deals for you and we'll check in next time your contract's up. 
And so I think overall, like me coming in, I think I've come in at a, at a really good time where the business was changing and the WNBA is, is growing and it's taking up pace. And, and yeah, I mean, again, I, I'm really lucky that I work with like incredible women and if they weren't as good as they were on the court and, and as versatile as they were off the court, like my job is, is limited. You know, at the end of the day, I can only push my clients as far as, as, as we can go together. I, I'm going on a soapbox now. So no, I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. You know, you spoke a few minutes ago, Allison, about feedback and how you've processed it and used it to, to make yourself better. And, and I'm going to go back to Cheney for a moment here, because when we all first started knowing each other back at ESPN, you know, Cheney was doing stuff for ESPN Africa before she started doing Sports Center. And she would poke into my office because my office was right near the talent office. And she'd always poke in and she'd say, OK, I want to watch clips with you. I want to get better. I want to I want feedback. I want, you know, and it sounds like that's something that you must be sort of like, you know, fanning out to your clients like, hey, you know, look for look for feedback, because I've always found it. And Monica's a great example of this. I think former athletes that, that get into the media are like the best to work with because they crave feedback and they want to be coached. Yeah. And plus like mindset, work that work ethic, all of, all of those things. I think athletes have a different, have a different mentality or some athletes, like I can't say all athletes are all former athletes, but, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I think uh, poking is a really nice way of describing how Cheney would walk into your office, but I guess. poking. All right. Busting uh, through the door. Maybe. I don't know. But, <laughs> That's yeah, I mean, like, I, I Sinead, yeah poke I don't know I yeah anyways but I think it I was think always fun. Anything, yeah I mean no look and I I like Bruce you've been instrumental in terms of helping Chanae with that feedback and with the growth and and just helping fill in kind of like that coach level especially in the in the beginning where where she was really getting her feet wet and just and just really seeking out like constructive criticism and and in the tv world as you guys both know you really do have to seek that out because unless you're bad and people have to give you feedback because that you're not doing well enough, you know, Shanae was, was great from the start and Shanae's personality and her energy and, and she comes prepared and she outworks everybody. And so that, all of that, you know, she had, but, but I think she did well enough that people weren't jumping to go give her feedback at every, at every corner. But as she, as she grew, you know, as she, as she's still growing in terms of on, on camera and, and feedback and, and all that. But I do, I do think that that has, you know, it's, it's her athlete mentality that seeks it out and isn't not offended. You know, she's not offended when, and I'm not offended when people say I did something wrong or I don't, I mean, I don't like, I like to win. I think that's inherent in, in who I am and how I've approached my business. But if I, if I take an L, at least I want to get feedback to make myself better so that hopefully I'm not, you know, putting myself in the same position because of the same actions that I took before. So anyway, uh, well, it looks like uh, Friday night, uh, we're all very excited about the WNBA draft because it's the first actual sporting action with some, that's not a replay of some old game that that we've had for a long time. And it's going to be really cool. And I think the ratings on it are going to be really, really good. So unless the earth spins off its axis in the next day or so, Sabrina Ionescu is going to be taken by the New York Liberty in the number one media market. So how does a star of Sabrina's magnitude playing in the top market affect the WNBA moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the timing, despite despite this pandemic that we're in and the fact that the, the draft will be virtual, I think 
Sabrina entering the league right now is coming at a, an incredible time for her and for the league. I mean, with, with the CBA that, that was recently agreed to a couple months ago, I'm, I'm lucky that I have uh, two clients, Elizabeth Williams and Shanae Gwumake, who both are on the executive committee and were in the nitty-gritty of negotiating that, that new collective bargaining agreement. And so there's a lot of momentum in the league. I mean, it's a, it's a really good time to be in the WNBA. I think you're going to start seeing more brands, more agencies, more people want to get into the league as it continues to ascend. But Sabrina's, Sabrina's fame, for lack of a better word, I mean, is, is definitely on the rise. And I think her going to New York is a, is a great thing for the league. I mean, it just is. Whether or not it plays out in terms of her playing in New York this season, because to my knowledge, they're exploring, as the NBA is, the, the possibility of one, one neutral site and all the games happening there. But either way, I mean, it's, it's, super, I mean, it's super exciting. The, the New York ownership group is, is incredible. Moving them to Barclays and in Brooklyn is awesome. My client, Amanda Zowie, that plays for that team, is super happy. And I think, I think this is really going to turn, turn a new page in terms of the trajectory of, you know, of their team and their franchise as a whole in terms of drafting. Sabrina, and people forget, like, they took Asia Durr with the number two overall pick last year. And, and she's going to be a great player and continue to get better. And so they have a really good group of, of you know, young, young players and a young core that I think are going are gonna to help each other because of their ability to play together. I mean, they, they can all run. They can all stretch the floor. I think the, the way that the New York general manager is approaching putting together their team is, is smart. This is way outside the scope of what you asked. But... No, no, no. I want to stay there, though. And I know that you're an agent and you have to always say nice things and wonderful things because you never know who's going to cross your path. But am I the only person that is kind of like, uh, New York, they, to me, I wouldn't be, I mean, I love it. Sabrina's great. But if there was a world where New York didn't take her and they took like a Lauren Cox, I'm not like, I wouldn't be completely blown away off my rocker, especially considering that they just traded Tina Charles. And you just mentioned Asia Durr, Kia Nurse, like they've got a great guard core already. I don't know. This is just me. I know you may or may not be able to respond to that. Bruce, what do you think? <laughs> I think a <laughs> I, I think Sabrina is going to have a really good time using Amanda for some screens. Amanda's like 6'5", right? And pretty big girl. So I think uh, that to me sounds like the, the next, next great pick and roll combo. I don't know. Pick and pop, if you're talking yeah. about Amanda. I mean, she can roll too, but Amanda can can shoot it and really stretch the floor. No, I mean, look, I think I think if New York were to go in a different direction, they would take Satu Sabali, who also played at Oregon and and is a, a combination of like a two three four ish type of player who's gonna whose game I think is gonna translate super well to the WNBA. But I I don't see a world in which in which New York doesn't choose Sabrina. I was at uh, Kobe's memorial a couple months ago with, with two of my clients with Liz Cambage and Sinead Womacain to be sitting there and in a, you know, in a full staple center with every celebrity that I could have ever imagined being in one room at one time. And Sabrina is one of very few people that was selected to, to speak. I think it's pretty telling about, about where she's at and where the, where the women's game is at, but where she's at in particular within that, that you know, within the WNBA and the women's game. Yeah, that, I mean, that's all legit. And again, like, that is not, what she's done is obviously unprecedented. She made history. Seems like, 
um, the obvious number one overall choice. I just, maybe I'm always in the back, like scheming just a tad. But anyway. <laughs> no, you know, not to interrupt you, but I think to me, this draft is sort of similar to like, let's say 2013, right? When Brittany Griner went number one and Elena Deladon went number two, where you could have easily made the argument that that Elena, Elena Deladon would have been a great fit for Phoenix. But at, at, you know, at that number one pick, I think there's a, there's a pull to take, to take the player that everybody assumes is going to go in that spot, especially if there is like a clear cut number one pick. Yeah. That's just, yeah. I mean, not that, I mean, I, I do think she fits, I think Sabrina fits what New York's trying to do. I think New York's made, again, strategic decisions like bringing in Walter Hopkins, who's, who's a younger new head coach, you know, first time head coach who was in Minnesota before as an assistant and who's great. And, and he's going to relate really well to, to the younger players. And I think someone like Sabrina is going to learn a lot under, you know, under his tutelage. And so I, I like what they're doing. I mean, yeah. But you I got more like of the pulse than I do for sure. And regards that, and we're definitely going to wait to see it, but you bring up an interesting point though um, on Sabrina and just kind of what the W is doing. You and I both would agree. I think in the past, I'd give it four years. I think Allison, we've really seen not just the W start to boom in terms of eyeballs, but just the women's game. And I think so much of that is about timing and the conversations about diversity and respecting what these women are doing on a daily basis are in places that we have not seen before. Um, part of that probably, you know, contributes to a guy like Kobe who was fully behind the WNBA, whether it was because he was a basketball mind and respected the game, or you wanted to credit Gigi and the potential that she had there. Um, where do you see, like when in your mind will the WNBA be respected in the way that you'd see that your clients and those athletes should be respected? Like, what does that look like from your perspective? That's a really great question. It's been fascinating for me to see, particularly with, I would say, well, Lisa, Lisa's always been respected. I mean, for what she's done on the court, for what she's done in the Olympics, for the person she is off the court, I think she's always kind of sat in that echelon of, of respect by, by everybody. Maybe, maybe I'm naive by saying that, but I've, what I found interesting, interesting is seeing as my clients ascend, for instance, Chelsea Gray, uh, going from the 11th overall pick in 2014 to now a first team all WNBA three-time all-star you know one of the best players in the world that she really created on her own by getting better and showing what she could do and and getting to that next level in terms of on court but seeing how people react to her differently has been very interesting for me to see I mean the same would go for Cheney as she's grown on this on the TV side we've gone to NBA all-star I think this is like the in a row that that we've both gone through together and it's been telling for me to see the level of of recognition she gets among among NBA fans and to me the best pulse of that is is at NBA All-Star every year it's been pretty rapid growth in terms of who's recognizing her who's stopping her on the street like she can't get down the street usually during during like or in the downtown area of of an NBA All-Star without being recognized now which is which is awesome, but that's more to do with her being an NBA analyst on ESPN than it is for her to be a WNBA player. So I don't know. I mean, working with Liz Cambage over, over the course of the last 14 months has, has also been very eye-opening for me to see because she's pretty universally respected. And if she, for the people that, that don't respect her, she typically will be the first to call them out. And um, 
identify the trolls that, that don't respect it. And usually they don't watch the game anyway. But, yeah, I don't know what that looks like. I think it's growing. I think the people that actually go to games and or watch the product on TV or know something about the players and, you know, maybe look at them on social media. I mean, anyone that's gotten exposure to the game usually wants to go to a game and or come back to a game. It's the people that don't don't watch, don't follow, just want to troll on social that that are, are really who disrespect the WNBA. Liz Cambage um, was all glammed up on that ESPN, the magazine body issue. How, I mean, she is a force on the court, obviously, but she is a force of nature as well. How did that whole body issue scenario come about? So the body issue scenario came out, came about, when Liz and I first started working together, we kind of put our heads together and started to think about what key opportunities, events, brands, et cetera, could we, could we really identify and go after that would help build her out the way that she wants to be built. And Liz is very particular and strategic about how she approaches what she does. If you even look at her on social, no one scripts that. Like she does all of that on her own. And, and I think, I think people that, that follow Liz or have, you know, have paid attention to Liz know that she's unapologetic, unapologetically herself. And I think people really resonate with that. So yeah, uh, the body issue is one of the things that we quickly identified to be something that she would, she would thrive in and she more than thrived in it. I think we actually shot it. I remember leaving the WNBA draft last year in New York and flying early in the morning to get to her shoot. And she shot it here in LA right before she did her first activation with, with Adidas at Coachella. So that was an interesting couple of days, but yeah, no, she killed that shoot. And yeah. It was, it was, I I was watching some of the video clips of it uh, on ESPN.com and she was just, I mean, she is such a kind of comfortable in her own skin type of person. And, and for somebody who's six foot eight, I mean, that's really, you know, again, I can't really relate to that. I'm a normal sized person, obviously. But I, I watched that and I thought to myself, she is something. What's incredible about about Liz is and and that's not confidence that you can just wake up and have. You know, I mean, she she has been taller than average for, for all of her life. And and I think between between her mom and her nana and her, you know, just growing up around them, they're two very strong, very confident women. And she grew up to be, you know, to be authentically herself and, and comfortable and confident in her own skin. And, and yeah, she's six, eight, but she's also strikingly beautiful and has an incredible personality and it's super smart and, and happens to be great at basketball and DJing and, and a host of other things. And so I think, I think for a lot of my clients that are on the taller side or taller than average, I mean, look, I, I'm pretty tall for like a white Jewish girl. And I remember telling my mom when I was, when I was starting to figure out that like the taller I got, the like higher the chance I'd get to get more scholarship offers to go play, you know, go play basketball in college. I remember telling her that, that I wanted to get to 5'10 and her looking at me and saying like, how are you going to find a nice Jewish boy that is taller than you? (laughs) And so I guess like at that point I was like, all right, so like, I'm I'm going to be okay at five, eight, you know, and I, I'm taller than, I'm taller than most, you know, at, in my world, I guess, like I'm the tallest of my group of friends and, you know, either I'm going to be confident about that or I'm not. And I think Liz, Liz had to deal with that at a young age, you know? So 
Yeah. The whole, the body issue thing is a whole different beast because to be comfortable in your own skin, I think, and then to be comfortable absolutely naked is too, like, I wouldn't be comfortable. I mean, that ain't for me, for sure. But she, she, <laughs> she is comfortable. She's comfortable and she is who she is. And I awesome. swear, Allison, we just became best friends. Did we just become best friends? Because I remember <laughs> the doctor telling me, oh, you got your period, you're about to stop growing. And I was so crushed <laughs> because I was trying to get as many inches as possible, trying to get money to go to college. So I can totally relate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, it was like 5'10 sounds good, even though I probably got listed at 5'10 anyway, even though I'm 5'8. But yeah, I guess it's all it's all relative, right? See, I got that fake six foot listing and I was really only 5'11. But I, I mean, the, the bigger it's point- a difference is, maker. That's a- <laughs> That's like, that's that next level of, of offers. I feel like once you hit that six mark, you automatically, automatically get some coaches at your game. A hundred percent. I agree with you a hundred percent. But I, I love what you said though, because um, I, I've, I'm tall, right? And like, well, tall by average, but I could put on heels and still not be as tall as Liz. And I do love the way that she carries herself. She's such an example. Holly Rowe, who we love and all her coverage of women's college basketball has made it a point to talk to so many of um, the athletes. What's my girl that I drafted by Indiana that went to Tierra McCowan in particular yeah. is one that stands out to me. And when she talks about how basketball allowed her to find her place where like she could celebrate her height and being different and see it as an advantage and see it as powerful. And I know recently, um, thanks to the quarantine, my mom and I are going on tons of walks. And I was saying to her the other day that I really attribute my ability to be comfortable as a minority, whether it's a woman, whether it's a black woman, whatever the case may be in different spaces, I attribute so much to being an athlete first because I can remember in this very house as a kid, like my first experience as being the only one was trying to play ball with the boys, right? And so now while it's something that I see, whether it be I'm the youngest, the female, the one of color, whatever, it's not something that intimidates me. And I think I attribute all of that back to basketball. Yeah, I totally... I totally agree, but you you were always pretty good at basketball, right? Like growing up, I mean, from a confidence perspective, you were good. I mean, if you played at Georgetown, you were good. Yeah, I mean, right. I, yeah, I held my own for sure. <laughs> but, but I think that that plays so much into mindset and confidence, like for life. You know, I was lucky. I mean, again, for for being who I am and where I'm from, I was I was decently good at basketball, but I knew I knew I was gonna outwork everybody and and anyone that was in you know I knew I knew my limitations for sure particularly physical but but I was always gonna you know I was always gonna put the work in and I think that's something that that I've kept consistent on on the work side and I think a lot of my clients have a similar mentality it's, it's interesting because this quarantine has allowed me to kind of take a step back and and get perspective and and kind of look at my business and and think and this is the first draft class since 2013 that I'm not representing anybody and and I recruited one player but it was really by design that that I, I didn't design it to happen during like this pandemic by all like by any means but I I travel a lot you know I'm with my clients a lot this is the first time I've, I've really been able to take a step back and and look at my clients and figure out like how can we strategically you know build them out the right way and 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 plan out and put systems in place and and all that and, and I'll get to my point because I've talked way too long about who knows what I just said but I think across the board my clients are all underdogs they were never mm -hmm. the player that was mm -hmm. handed the keys to the league you know even 
Shanae being the number one overall pick. Like, no one talked about Shanae being the future of women's basketball the way Sabrina's being talked about or maybe Brianna Stewart was talked about or Brittany mm-hmm. Griner. You know, and, and Liz, to a certain degree, also. Like, Liz was – she was always an underdog, whether – you know, whether it was justified or not, like, to me, Liz is one of the, you know, the best players on the planet, as is Chelsea Gray. Chelsea Gray, also an underdog, had two season-ending injuries at, at Duke that, that, you know, set her back a little bit, but has has completely come into her own and, and shown everybody what she can do on the court. But again, I mean, Kelsey Mitchell, underdog, like, number two overall pick, but but very much was in the shadow of Asia Wilson in that draft class, you know? Uh, Miranda yeah. Zowie, underdog. Uh, Elizabeth Williams, underdog. You know, like, I'm I'm surrounded by like-minded and similar mindset, you know, humans basically. And I think, I think at the end of the day, I mean, Lisa wasn't really an underdog, but she has an underdog mentality because she, she works really hard. And I'm trying to think of who else I didn't mention yet. Oh, Jackie Jamelos, like was it on top of the world and then, and then had injuries that made her an underdog, you know? So I, I think a yeah. lot of my clients have, have a similar approach and mindset. So you've been like super generous with your time and we've got just a couple more questions, but this is my last one here. Okay. The, the sparks. Okay. The team featuring Chanae and Chelsea and NECA and Candace and Christy. I mean, that, that, that sounds like, I'm just wondering with, with Chanae, your client and her sister, NECA, not your client. Could that just be like a Netflix reality series just waiting to happen? What do you think? I think the whole WNBA could be a, a reality show, hard knocks, whatever you want to call it, type of show that that is ready made for TV for sure. I mean, I think the Sparks have a have a ton of talent, and I think I think their their um, assistant GM Michael Fisher and and Derek Fisher, their head coach, have done a good job of of putting together you know a lot of talent, and now it's it's going to be on them to to put it together and and figure out how, how that's going to work on the court. But when you have a player like Chelsea at the helm of it and, you know, running the show at the point guard position, she makes a lot of people's jobs a lot easier because of her ability to see the floor. And so, yeah, I think, I think, you know, I think they're, they're ready made to be pretty good. I think, I think it's just going to be interesting to see how, how this pandemic affects the amount of time that teams are going to have together prior to games, hopefully crossing, crossing my fingers that, that a season does happen and, and all of that. And so, yeah, wait, Bruce, I have a question for you. Yes. So yes. You, I mean, I know, you know, you know, my uncle, but other than that, Janae and I just kind of bugging you all the time and not really giving you much of a heads up when we would come by your office. I mean, Janae more often than, than me for sure. But what made you want to spend time with, with her and with me, I guess, to a certain degree by extension to help us? Because not a lot of people approach the business like that. I always want to work with people that have passion and have energy. And the first time I ever met Shanae, like I said, she was doing the ESPN Africa stuff. And her producer, uh, Ben Regal, used to be one of my PAs. So Ben would tell me, you know, you got to watch Shanae. You got to check her out. You got to check her out. So I'm like, okay, I'll check her out. And then one day she just was kind of walking past my office into the talent office, right? And she was talking to uh, Lisa Stokes, who we both know well. And so I walked in and I just said, and I just introduced, I think I introduced myself to Chanae first. I said, hey, you work with Ben, right? He told me blah, blah, blah. So I checked out some of your clips and, uh, you know, I really think, you know, boy, you're really good. You know, you're, you're doing a great job. And I think the fact that I sort of made the first move there, um, 
because I thought she was really good. Uh, and when she came back to me and said, will you, you know, look at some clips with me, whatever, then it's like, I mean, I used to do that with everybody who ever asked, because to me in my job at the time, being a coordinating producer and overseeing shows and whatnot, part of my DNA was how do I help somebody improve? How do I teach a brand new PA how to, you know, do good clips and write good scripts and whatever. So it was really just, she had the passion, she had the energy, she's just a charming individual personality wise. And then when she said, oh, um, Allison's coming, I want to introduce you. Then it became like, well, of course we're going to hang out. I mean, we're sort of kindred spirits. We're all kind of on the same page. So that's why, if that answers your question. Yeah, I think that was that was probably about three three years ago, something like that. Somewhere almost right four, almost four. Yeah, that's so wild. No, yeah, I remember those days. I was just picking your brain about about different shows and different talent and Chanae and all that. No, but seriously, Bruce, thank you for for taking the time and investing in you know investing in us. Oh hell, it's, yeah. It's it was it was always my pleasure. So listen, and thank you for coming on with Monica and us. I know Monica has the big finish coming up in the show. Monica, uh, the you know, can I can I tee it up for you, Monica, or do you want to do it? One thing, and then I'm gonna let you tee it up, Bruce. I was All right, you go ahead. Offline for real. Oh yeah. All right. Uh -oh. oh yeah. All right. Just want to make sure we put that out there. All right, Bruce, take it away. The grand finale. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm I'm uh -oh. now channel channeling Monica McNutt. The title of this podcast is called Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. Uh, we always ask our guests, actually, Monica always asks their guests, but because it's you and I, I'm going to step in this time. We're going to ask you either for a bucket, a board, or a block, and I'm going to explain what each is. A bucket is something that you love. And again, it can be about anything. It can be about the WNBA. It can be about the agent business. It can be whatever. Uh, a bucket is something that you love. As Monica would say, it's your A++ material, something that you want to see more of. A board is like a rebound, something that maybe uh, didn't look so hot at the beginning, but ended up having a silver lining, a redemption story, whatever, a rebound. And a block is get that out of here. We don't want any more of it. Get rid of it. So you only have to pick one, either a bucket, a board, or a block. How did I do, Monica? You killed it. You get a bucket for that that uh, layout. Perfect. Okay, good. Now, Allison, go. All right. I mean, I usually would go buckets. And can I give, like, just a piece of, I guess, advice or something like that for people that are that are going through it right now a little bit? Or You have the mic. Go. <laughs> okay. No, I just – I think this, this quarantine and this pandemic is obviously costing a lot of people jobs and making a lot of people think about – what what drives them and and you know what are they passionate about and and what do they want to do with you know with their time and obviously work takes a lot of people's time on a day-to-day -day basis and so i would just implore people to really pursue their passion and if they they do have that kind of like underdog disruptive mindset like like i did and i do i would just really suggest or implore people to to pursue it and bet on themselves and there's no better time than now because the market is is tough and economics are tough and you know why not now so that's my spiel but you guys are two people that are pursuing their passions and are entrepreneurial and so you you are doing exactly what i'm speaking into existence love that i think that is spot on advice 
All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Thank you to our guest, Allison Gaylor, the founder and president of Disrupt the Game, for being with us this week. She dropped some gems. Love chopping it up with the former baller. Y'all know I got a little bias. Thanks also to our producer and loyal sidekick, my good friend, Bruce Bernstein, and our outstanding editor, Ben Wolfen. Please check out our other Pure Hoops media shows. This week's Mike Wise show features former NBA player and the godfather of the big three, Roger Mason Jr. Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams has Illinois' men's coach Brad Underwood. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin has our homegirl Hannah Withiam, the WNBA editor for The Athletic, and they'll preview the WNBA draft and discuss the upcoming WNBA season. Draft is on Friday, people. BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman have the Pure Hoops podcast. That's going to drop on Friday. And of course, I'm here with a new show every Thursday, Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. As we say goodbye, please remember to support our healthcare professionals helping out with patients during the terrible COVID-19 pandemic. Also support our essential employees who are helping keep us all in as much as possible and also not starving. Um, Those people are our modern day superheroes. Continue to practice social distancing. Treat everyone around you like a cherished teammate. Wash your hands and pray for the wisdom of our leadership, guys. Please don't forget to check out the WNBA Draft on ESPN this Friday because it's the only way that you'll be able to enjoy your hoops. Later, my good people. Buckets, Boards and Blocks with Monica McNutt has been a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Hear that? That's the sound of change being cooked up in our schools. Each day, school food professionals throughout California are working to make better meals for our kids, one tray at a time. These meal planning, sauce stirring, taste bud training professionals are making food for students from kindergarten to high school using fresher ingredients and flavors kids love. The secret ingredient to better school food in California? The dedicated professionals who are improving it every day. Learn more about how they're cooking up change at schoolfoodpros.org. Grant provided by California Community College's Chancellor's Office.